Well, we have with us today our special guest, Brother Seth Johnson. Uh, we do regret his family couldn't come with us today, but we're glad he's here. And he is the missionary of one of our evangelists, or one of our, I'm sorry, he's the uh, grandson of one of our missionaries. And uh, we're glad that he's here as our evangelist today, uh, Brother Amos Johnson, his granddad. And so he may tell us a little bit about that. Uh, but we have supported, this church has supported that ministry for a good while. And we thank the Lord for the privilege of being able to help out. And so it's my privilege today to get to hear the message. You know, preachers like to hear preaching too. You did bring some good preaching with you, didn't you? Amen. All right. Well, come ahead, brother, and share what God's laid on your heart. And uh, we're excited about what the Lord's going to do. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord and enjoyed the good singing so far. And I've heard my whole life good singing makes up for bad preaching. And so we've heard good singing, so now it's the preaching part, and so I don't know if it'll be good or not. We'll find out in just a little bit. But I, I know you don't know me, and I don't know you, but if we know the Lord, that's all that matters in the end. And uh, as the pastor mentioned, my name is Seth Johnson. I do have a wife, Allie, and we have an 18-month-old son, Luke. And so I've been traveling full-time since December of 2019, and it was easy when it was just me and her traveling, now with the baby. So they travel about 50% of the time with me now just because going from place to place to place can be hard sometimes with, with a baby. Uh, but we are with Back to Bethel Prison Ministries. I am now the uh, assistant director of, of the ministry. And thank you. How many of you remember my grandpa Amos Johnson? There's probably a few that do. He's been preaching over 63 years. Uh, this year will be 63 years he's been preaching. He's now 85, and his health has, has been declining over the last uh, several years. And he's not able to do what he used to do. He's not able to go into the prisons and churches like he used to be able to go into. He's actually uh, in the early stages of dementia now. And so he's having some, some, some problems. So uh, in, December of 29, uh, in December, uh, December of 2019, he asked me to pray about... I was currently a youth pastor at a church in Conway, Arkansas. And he asked me if I'd pray about... Um, leaving that and, and helping him in the ministry and we prayed about it and the Lord gave us direction to do that and so ever since uh, December of 2019 we've been traveling with the ministry and to thank you for your faithful support every soul that's been saved and every life that's been changed is fruit to your account the thousands of dollars through the years I'm not sure how many years uh, the church here has supported the ministry but I know it's been several and all the money that's been given has uh, gone to seeing men and women in prison uh, give their life to Christ, and that's worth every dime that is spent. So I'll, I'll give you some highlights of what the ministry is about. It began in 2001. My grandpa was a pastor for, for several years. He started a church, pastored several different churches. But in 2001, he uh, got a burden for men in prison. And uh, a lot of times we can look at men in prison as uh, hopeless and uh, they deserve to be there, and they do deserve to be there. But they need the Lord, just like we needed the Lord. And so he got a burden for those men in prison. And so uh, he prayed about it. God led him into starting a prison ministry, and the Lord's really blessed. Uh, he has the exact numbers. I don't, but hundreds of men have been saved. A lot, the best thing about it is when a man uh, gets saved, goes through his, serves his time in prison, he gets out of prison, and we get a call about he's living in such and such, got a good job, his family's back together, he's faithful to a church. That's always a good report. 
Not every man that gets saved lives a good life after that, but we appreciate those that, that do. We focus on one institution. Uh, there are several other uh, prison ministries out there. Rock of Ages, we have good friends in Rock of Ages, and they basically go from prison to prison to prison week after week. Back to Beth, I was focused in on one prison, in particular Southeast Correctional Center in Charleston, Missouri. Back to Bethel has services every other Sunday and every other Tuesday in that facility. And we also have weekly, uh, every Monday night we have addictions programs that, that we've started in the prison. So every single Monday night uh, we're teaching uh, victory in Jesus. And, vic- and, and we do a 12-week program, how to have victory in Jesus. Then another 12-week program, how to have victory over bondage. And so it's been a tremendous program and uh, I, I, am, I live in Conway, Arkansas, so I can't be there every service. But we've got several other men who volunteer their time to help with the Back to Bethel Prison Ministry. And we're very thankful for that. We hold two revivals a year in that facility every August, every August and then every March. And we just had a revival this a couple of months ago, I guess in March, 1st of March. And we had three men get saved and then got a report back a week later that a Muslim got saved. And uh, this man was a hardened criminal. He's in prison. That's what he is. And uh, was a servant of, of the Muslim religion. And had he was a messed up guy, scary guy. But the Lord got a hold of his heart. I didn't even know who he was in that revival. And over a couple of week period of time, God began to work and he gave up Allah to serve God and God saved him and he's completely changed. And that's what it's all about right there, seeing men like that uh, get saved. And, and so that's kind of just a, a highlight of what we do. And, and the prison ministry, I enjoy it. We, uh, there's not a place to preach in quite like the prison. We have a prison choir and you got uh, several black and white men, and, and they sway, and they sing, and it, it's fantastic. And we pack out our, our building every services. I mean, it's wall-to-wall, completely full, and they love to have church. If you know what I'm talking about, having church, uh, they say amen. You could preach Mary had a little lamb, and they're shouting and clapping their hands and praying. I mean, it's incredible. And so we have a wonderful time there. And uh, and I just want to say thank you, church, for that. I know my grandpa wanted me to be sure to thank you all for the faithful support through the years. That helps us to be able to do what we do. And, and on top of the prison ministry, the Lord lets me travel in evangelism. And I'm gone week to week. Uh, last year I was able to preach from Maryland to Florida to Arizona to Iowa. And the Lord's been, been good to us in that. And so take your Bible to Daniel chapter number 6. Daniel chapter uh, number 6. It is a joy uh, to be here. Pastor, thank you for allowing me to come. We've never met before, so I know it takes a lot of faith to invite somebody to preach on Easter. His first Easter as pastor. And, uh, and I was driving down yesterday, had some problems, didn't know if I was going to be able to make it or not. I called, I texted the pastor Friday night, we were having some vehicle problems, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it or not, but I wanted to be here, and so the Lord worked out, worked the details out for me to get to come, and I was driving down yesterday, and I, this isn't a traditional Easter message. I wanted, to, I wanted to come and preach a typical Matthew 28, Luke 24, Easter sermon, and I, and I wanted to. And so I, I was wrestling with the Lord about that. And, and he just would not get this thought off my heart. And so I realized a long time ago, if I just let him be in charge, he works things a whole lot better than I do. 
But we'll hit on a few things that will attain to that today. Daniel chapter 6, if you would please, would you stand as we give attention to the Word of God. Daniel chapter uh, number 6, and we'll read one verse of Scripture and then pray and you can be seated. Daniel 6, if you're there, say amen. Daniel 6, verse number 20. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? See that there's a question mark at the end there. Darius comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, is thy God, is he able Is he able to deliver? If you know where we're at in the scripture, you know the story goes he is able. God does deliver Daniel. But Darius has an honest question in his heart and we'll we'll go through it in just a moment. And he asks that question, Is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? I want to read you a verse out of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And for a little while this morning, I want to preach with the help of the Lord on this thought. Is thy God able? We'll talk about several things this morning and we'll answer that question. Is thy God able? Father, thank you for the privilege we have to be in this place this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those who've come. I know there's visitors here and Lord, they don't know who I am, but God, I'm thankful that we know who you are. And Lord, I have no idea what these people stand in need of, but God, you would not get this message off of my heart. And so, Lord, we're going to deliver it as you've given it to us. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody here not saved, I pray for old-time Holy Ghost conviction to fall upon them. And Lord, they would come and be saved on this resurrection day. Thank you, Lord, for rising from the grave. Thank you, Lord, that we serve a risen Savior who is alive. Bless the service and these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated, please. Every time I preach at a new church, my wife often says, tell those poor people that you talk really fast and sometimes it's hard to understand you. So I'm sorry. Once I get going, it's hard to stop. In Daniel chapter number 6, Darius has just became the new king in Babylon. And as soon as he gains the power in Daniel 6, he begins to make some moves, do some things. In verse number 1, the Bible says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So Darius is is the king and he sets Daniel over all of the presidents and the princes. Now Darius sets these 120 princes and three presidents and he sets them in order maybe to keep up with the financial records. I don't know. Maybe just to have order of what was going on. He sets these men up and he notices something about Daniel. Look at verse 3 again. Then this Daniel was preferred above the the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. 
That's a good testimony to have. And Darius looks at Daniel and says, there's an excellent spirit about him. I'm going to prefer him above everyone else. I noticed something about Daniel's life that I like, that I enjoy, that I see he is different than everybody else. And, and may I, I say this morning, there ought to be something different about our life. That the Lord could look at us and say, they are different than the world. We are, if you're saved, the light of the world. And if the light of the world is inside of you, there are ought to be something different than that of the world. Why? Because they are darkness. It's about that excellent spirit. You know, too many Christians have bad spirits. I preach in literally almost every week different churches and and you'd be amazed from up here the faces you get as you preach. Some people look mad that you preach them. Some people look sad that you're preaching. You get all kinds of looks when you're preaching and, and you look across the congregation. You know, I, I, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. I grew up a preacher's kid. I, 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 there were many times as a kid I didn't want to go to church. But I had to go to church. Why? I was made to go to church. And there were times, no doubt, I probably had a bad spirit and did not look happy to be there. But the older that I've gotten, the more that I've realized the Christian life should not be a sad life. The Christian life should be a joyous life. Why? If you're saved, heaven is your home. You are not going to hell. There ought to be something that, that excites your heart. We come to church on Easter Resurrection Sunday. That should at least put a smile on somebody's face to know that we're not serving a dead God, but we're serving a risen Savior who's in the world today. And no doubt Darius notices something about Daniel's life that says he was preferred. He had an excellent spirit about him. Bible students would say that Daniel was over 80 years old during this time. No doubt, when looking at his life, he walked with God. No one could say otherwise. If you back all the way up to Daniel chapter number 1, Daniel 1, 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he went out to file himself with a portion of the king's meat. Way back years ago, Daniel made his mind up I'm just going to please my Savior. I'm just going to please my Lord. And, and so 80 years old, we would all agree, that's a good life, a good long life. And Daniel's lived at serving the Lord. There are several things we'll find through this text, and, and I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, we see wicked desires. Look at verse number four. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Wow, that gives us some more insight to the life of Daniel. That these men, these, these, these 120 princes and two of these other presidents, they, they have wicked desires toward Daniel. They want to kill Daniel. They've got no reason to kill Daniel. They've got no proof that he's a bad person. Why? In verse number 4, they tried to find fault in Daniel. It says this, there was neither error or fault found in him. He was just 
faithful. He was just going to be faithful, serving and living and doing whatever the king asked him to do. Whatever Darius wanted Daniel to do, that's what Daniel was going to do. That's a good testimony to have. We know that Daniel was not sinless. We know there's only one sinless person and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. But everybody else around him could say, I can't find any error. I can't find any fault. Wow. Wouldn't that be something if the world could look at us and say, I don't know, there's no, I can't find anything against them. They're just faithful to their father. He's faithful. Verse, look at verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they've come together with these wicked desires and we know this, as you go throughout this chapter, we know that they desire to have Daniel killed by throwing him into a den of lions. We would all agree that's a wicked desire. Why would they want to do that to a man they could look at and say, there's no error, there's no fault, I can't find it, I can't find anything. They said this in verse 5, we must find it against him concerning the law of his God. And so they come together and if you look verse by verse through this and we won't take the time to do that, they, they get together and they go and they want to go talk to Darius and say, Darius, we've got a great idea. We've talked together. We've talked amongst ourselves and we believe, Darius, that, that if any man for 30 days asks petitions of their Lord besides thee, we'll have them thrown into a den of lions. And so what they, what they were doing was they were trying to smooth talk and puff up Darius. So Darius could sign a decree that then they know would have Daniel put to death. That's envy and jealousy at the core. Why would they want to do that? May I remind you today that envy and jealousy will destroy people's lives. And it all starts through wicked desires. These men do not like, no doubt, they're jealous of, of Daniel. They don't like that Darius preferred him above them. They don't like all the power that Daniel has. They don't like all the, all the good things being said about, about Daniel. And so what they decide to do, well, if we don't like him, Let's just get rid of them. And so they come together, they conspire together. All this birth through envy and jealousy. They could not be happy that God was blessing Daniel. You know what's a sad place in the life of a child of God is when they find themselves being envious and jealous of another brother or sister because God is blessing them and not blessing you. We should all be thrilled and happy when God uses and blesses somebody else. Why? If you're saved, say amen, as a bunch of us. You know why I should be happy when God uses another brother or sister in Christ? It's because we're on the same team. If you're on the same team, don't you want to win the game? I'm a big sports fan. I've always been. I have my favorite teams. and I'm not mad when somebody does good. You know why? I'm happy because I want my team to win. 
If you're saved, we're on the Lord's team and we want God to bless and use everybody in this room this morning. We want to see God use your life and bless your life spiritually and see you grow and mature in the work of the Lord. Many are envious in the church. Many are jealous in the church. God will not bless jealousy. It's a prison that will cause you to be miserable. And these men in Daniel 6, no doubt they're miserable. They're, all, they're trying to find fault in Daniel. They can't find fault. They cannot find any error. You know, when the Lord was, on, was going to the cross, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And it didn't matter to the angry mob. They didn't care. They said, we want him crucified. And then you know the story. They say, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And they chose a murderer and a proven criminal to be released and for our Savior to go to the cross and to die. That's wicked desires at the core. And I see a picture here. They say there's no fault in Daniel. I can't find fault in him. Just like Pilate said, I find no fault in our Savior. But wicked desires will cause people to do wicked things. They smooth talk Darius and Darius signs in verse 9, look at verse 9. Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, once a king would sign this decree, that meant there was no going back. He couldn't just change his mind after a few minutes and say, never mind, I hear y'all's trying to, y'all's trying to trip up Daniel. Never mind. I like Daniel. Never mind. I don't want. I don't want that to happen anymore. It didn't work that way. Once he signed that decree, it was over. It was done. Not only do I see wicked desires, but number two, I see Daniel's determination. Look at verse number ten. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know what Daniel decided to do? No matter what happens, no matter what may come my way, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. You know, it's God that was good to me. It was God that's protected me. I know this. I'd rather die serving Him and praying to Him than die a coward and turning my back on Him. And so Daniel, as he did a four times, three times a day, just begins to pray and prays and seeks the, the face of God and does what he's always done. He prayed knowing that it could cost him his life. Could you imagine? Put yourself in Daniel's position. Would you pray? I, I know me sometimes... It's easy to talk about having faith. There's another thing to practice faith when you're going through something like that. And Daniel kneels three times as he did a four time. He knew that praying might cost him his life. But no doubt Daniel knew that God had delivered before. If you go to chapter number three, no doubt Daniel heard. Remember the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? how they were thrown into that burning fiery furnace for simply not bowing down to the wicked king with wicked desires. Daniel had heard of that, no doubt, had knew what God had done before. He knew that God delivered the three Hebrew children. He knew that God had worked in lives before. 
He knew that God had delivered people before. He had read how God delivered the children of Israel before. He had read in other pastures how God brought victories before. He had read how God knocked down the walls before. He knew all of these things. He just said this, no matter what may happen, I'm going to do what I've always done because I know this, my God is able to deliver me. And maybe you're here this morning and you've got a need in your life. And you may say, I know God's done it before, but could God do it for me again? You know, a lot of times we look at somebody else's life and say, God answered their prayer, but could God answer my prayer? Maybe you've got a lost son or a daughter or a prodigal son or daughter, and you say, I've seen what God's done for them and for their family But could God do it for me and for my family? We've all had those questions before. We've all said those things before. And and, and the fact of the matter is this. Our God is still able. How do you know that? Luke 137 says, "For For with God nothing shall be impossible. If God delivered before, if God could if God could make a way across the Red Sea before, and if God could, could cause the walls to come tumbling down before, and if God could deliver the three Hebrew children before, Daniel said this, I know my God's able to deliver me now. And so Daniel begins to pray and to seek God as he's always done. Number three, we not only see Daniel's determination, but we see Darius's displeasure. Look at verse uh, number 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. In verse number 11, 12, 13, they, these men with the wicked desires, they, they come, they, they want to find Daniel praying so they can go tattletales, what I say, back to Darius. I have, there's four siblings of us all together. I have a younger sister who was what I call the queen of tattletelling. Everybody's had a sibling like that, right? Well, it doesn't matter what you do, they're going to find a way to go tattletale tomorrow. And so I, if my mom was here today, she would, she would say without a doubt, I wasn't always a good little boy. They always called me the preacher boy growing up, but I wasn't always acting like a little preacher boy growing up. I was mischievous. And so there were times I would do something, and my little sister would catch me, and the first thing she was doing, I couldn't even explain myself, preacher. She was going straight to mom with a tattletale of what I was doing. I didn't like that. I would always tattletale, tattletale, stick your head in the garbage pail. I'd use all of those one-liners to try to get her to stop, and she wouldn't stop. She would try to catch me everything that I did. I I consider these these people in in verse 11, 12, and 13 to be tattletales. You know what, what they're doing? They go and they find Daniel praying. And the first thing they do, run to Darius. Darius, we caught, we caught Daniel praying. We don't have time to look at it, but go back and look at that. 11, 12, 13, those verses. They, they, they go and they're tattletailing to Darius. Darius, we caught, it's time to, time to put him in the den. Darius, remember, you signed that decree, and so that means he must die. How low could you possibly be? And these men have that in Darius. Look at verse 14. When he heard these words, what's these words? The words of the, of the wicked men. Was sore displeased with himself. He recognized that his sin 
of signing that decree may cost him to lose his best leader. Daniel did not deserve this. Your choices you make will affect somebody else. When Darius signed that decree, I I, I believe without a doubt Darius had no intention of signing that and intentionally trying to hurt or even kill Daniel. But he made that choice, signed that decree, and the choice he made then was going to majorly affect Daniel. Choices that you make will affect other people in your life. I'm a new parent. I I don't know how to raise a parent. I don't know how to raise a child. I have no idea. It's scary to think about trying to raise a child in this age and day in which we live in. And there have been many times I'm thinking, a choices that I make now could affect my son's life in the future. Choices I make as a husband to my wife, where we move to, what we do, where we go to church, those are big choices that I make. And the choice that I make will no doubt affect my family. No choices produce consequences, right? Good choices produce good consequences. Boy, you know here's a good choice? Give your life to Christ. Here's the consequence. You can go to heaven. That's good, isn't it? But with bad choices comes bad consequences. Throughout the summer, I'll preach in six, seven different youth camps and conferences. And and many times we try to encourage the teenagers and young people to to make the choice to serve God now because it, it produces great ends in the future. And then I'll go preach in a prison the week after that and see men who've made bad choices that say, can I, make, can I start making good choices now? And I love to say this, it doesn't matter what you've done before, God can use you right now to make good choices from now on for the rest of your life. Darius has signed this decree. He would regret doing this. In fact, look at verse number 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and asleep went from him. The choice that Darius has made has affected him in so many ways, he can't even sleep because of the choice that he's made. You ever made a decision or tried to make a decision and it was such a big one you couldn't even sleep at night because the choice was so big? Or you made a bad decision and you're up all night thinking, how in the world could I do that? How in the world could I have done this? And and this is where Darius is that <coughs> Darius' displeasure. And then number four, I see the Savior's delivery. Look at verse number uh, 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went to the, and, and hastened to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamb of voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, My king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before the O king have I done no hurt. You know what, Daniel, uh, Darius comes, I can picture this. Picture being Darius. You've made this decision that's going to cost Daniel his life. I can only imagine as the night comes and they throw Daniel into that den of lions. He should be dead when Darius comes and checks on him. The next one, right? We, we would agree with that. 
I was reading one commentary, and I don't know where he got the, the history facts of this or not, but one commentator said that it was custom in these times that when they would, throw, that was a form of sacrifice or killing somebody, they would throw them into this, not just a lion's den, but a den of lions, multiple lions. They would, they would throw them, they would literally starve these lions. So that way, whenever the prey would be thrown into the den, they would devour the prey immediately. I thought, wow, that makes a lot of sense when he said that. As, De- as Darius knows this choice he's made, and they throw Daniel in this den of lions, Darius goes home, and he can't sleep. Can't, can't sleep, and he's probably no doubt pacing the floor thinking, how could I do this? How could I treat Daniel like this? And so Darius up all night and wondering, no doubt, thinking, how could I do this? And so the next morning comes very early, it says. He made haste. He's probably running to that den. And he comes to that den, and his mind thinking, I hope he's alive, but probably thinking like we all would, there's no chance he's alive. He comes to that den and says, Daniel, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee? And probably in the mind of Darius, he's thinking he's not going to get a response back because Daniel's dead. And then Daniel responds back, Oh, yes. King, my God has sent his angel and shut these lions' mouth and they've done me no hurt, no harm. Everything's fine in here. Picture the shock in Darius' mind thinking, what did what, you say, Daniel? Put yourself in that. I would be like that thinking, did he just say something? I thought he was dead. Darius says, is thy God able? Daniel says, oh, yes, my God is able. There's a flip to this. If you study through the rest of this, and we don't have time to go through that, but those, those wicked men, those wicked desires, those princes and presidents, the Bible says that the Lord delivered Daniel, we know that. But then there was a flip. Those men and their wives and their children, they were thrown into that den. Can you imagine? They thought the whole time they're getting Daniel We're going to kill Daniel only for them. And I want to stop right here and say this. It not only affected them, it affected them. They lost their life. But it was their wives and their children. Do you think those children went to their dad and said, Dad, we hope we die in that den? No way. You think those kids went to their dad and said, Dad, I don't want to live the rest of my life. Why don't we sign a decree or make Darius sign a decree and let's go die together in a den. Let's get eaten alive. Nobody would say that. But the choice that the father made affected the wife and then it affected the children. They didn't choose that. They didn't want that. That's why husbands and dads, what a responsibility we have that we don't follow the ways of the world and we don't want to try to follow that path. Let's follow the right path in the right way. I want to positively affect the next generation. But the Lord delivers Daniel. I can imagine the rejoicing that goes on. The excitement that happened. Really, thy God is able. You know, we serve an able God this morning. I've never been here. I've never been to DeRitter, Louisiana before. I I had no idea who was going to. I didn't know anybody that was going to be here. I did not know. But I know this. God's worked in my life. God's worked in your life 
and He's able to continue working in your life. You say, is God able? I, I can imagine as the Lord was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities, he paid a, a debt that I could never pay. I, I owed such a debt. I could never pay that debt. As he climbed up Calvary Street, and they're all gathered together wondering, is he able? You know, he prophesied he would come, he would die, he'd be beaten, and he would rise again the third day. The disciples didn't understand all of that. But he told them what he would do. Can you imagine as he goes up there and then the question, is he really our Savior? Maybe they're talking amongst themselves. Is God able? As he stands and, you know, the Lord died for every individual in this room today. We believe in a whosoever will gospel. It doesn't matter who you are or your background or your financial status or your family. All that matters is the ground's level at the foot of the cross. And no doubt the question, is God able? And He dies a horrible death for me and for you. And as those days were going on, those three days and three nights, no doubt the questions remained. The disciples are sad. They're wondering, I thought that was our Savior. Is God able? Then on that third and glorious Easter morning, the day we're celebrating today, Matthew 28, 6 says, He is not here for He is risen as He said. As he said, he was, you know what he proved? I am able. That's what he proved. If God could raise the dead, and he did. If God could touch the blinded eyes and make them see, and he did. If he could live a sinless life, and he did. There's something that we can trust today. We can trust this. Our God's able to see us through no matter what we face, no matter what trial, no matter what circumstance, we can know this, our God is able. In a room this size, there are different needs represented. There's different homes, different families, different backgrounds. And no doubt we all walked through the doors this morning carrying different needs in our life. Some could be financial needs. No doubt a financial need is a serious need in someone's life. Someone may walk in those doors carrying a physical need. No one likes to get bad reports from the doctor. Nobody wants to go to the doctor and hear, sorry, but you have cancer. Nobody wants to hear that. And there may be somebody here carrying a need that nobody else knows about. Maybe you walk in with a need, a family need in your life. Third John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But there's also a flip to that verse. There's no greater grief to the heart. I've seen it to the heart of a parent than for a child that they raised right to go astray. And no doubt for a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa, that's a serious need in their life. They want their grandson or granddaughter to be in church. They want their son or daughter to be serving God. And they're not. And you walk in the door today carrying the need and wondering, is God able? I'm glad to say, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, our God is able. And there also may be somebody that walked in this room today saying, I know what he's done. I know he died on the cross. I know he rose from the grave. I know, we're, I know why we're celebrating this. 
but you don't know what I've done or where I've been. I mean, I, I, I literally, I meet guys, new guys in the prison all the time that would say, I know, I, I believe in God. I know what he's done. But preacher, you don't know what I've seen. You don't know where I've been. And you don't know the crimes I've committed. And I love to say, sir, it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't want to know the crime you've committed, but I do know this. You can come to Jesus and he can wash your sins away and can transform your life. And that may be you today. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not a murderer, but we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are standing in need of a Savior. And you may say, could God save me? I go to bed at night and I wonder if I was to die, where I would go. I'm glad to tell you, Romans 10, 13, my, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's your need today, you can come because God's able to save you and change your life. Our God is able. I'll give you an illustration and, and I'll be through my my older brother, his name is Samuel. Samuel has been faithful in church his whole life, faithful to the house of God. And he and his wife, they in 2020, right when the, the COVID stuff just happened, she just delivered their first baby, baby girl. And, and they were excited about all of that. They, during the same week that she was born, they closed on their first home to buy. They had been written for several years and bought their first home and but there was a lot of excitement going on in their life at, at that time. Well, they get the baby, they, they're moving while the newborn's coming home, they're moving and all the exciting things that go along with that. They're faithful to church every time the doors are open, always been faithful to church. Tithers, givers, teeth, faithful to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals. Well, my brother noticed some lumps that came up on his neck during all of that time and he kind of brushed it to the back of his he said, I don't, I'm not worried about it right now. We're busy. We're moving and got a new baby and all that stuff. And so didn't think much about it. But a couple of weeks went by further. And he works at a factory. And he said, I'd be lifting some of that equipment. And I'd feel pressure under my heart. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was. Didn't brush, brush it off. But finally I said, I better talk to somebody about it. He talked to my mom. And said, Phil, he's got three big lumps on his neck. And you know, she said, well, the, well, might as well just go get a checkup. They're thinking, they didn't know, maybe stress-related, just tired, not getting much sleep, new baby, just moved, moved, all that exciting stuff. He goes to the doctor on a Monday and just a normal checkup in his mind to get off, go back to work. and Everything's fine in his, in his mind on a Monday morning. Goes in there and the doctor looks at him and says, Samuel, uh, I, 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 I hate to say this to you, but I, I see some real concern for, for cancer here. You talk about a shock for a 28-year-old healthy young man, and he was not expecting to, to hear that. The doctor says, I, I need to send you up to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and, and they need to do a, a PET scan on you and just to see biopsy and, and all of that. So that's Monday. Tuesday morning rolls around, and he's on his way, and he's scared. No doubt it's scary when someone goes through something like that and in his mind I'm thinking how bad is it what kind is it am I going to live am I going to die Lord I've got a brand new baby girl she needs a dad I just all those things run through your mind he goes up there has a scan comes back he's got a six inch mass under his heart he's got lumps all up and down the left side of his body and 
very concerning. Very concerning. They do a biopsy. It comes back a week or two later. It's, it is cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the doctor said this, of all cancers, to get at least you got this one because it's very, very treatable. And there's a great survival rate to, to this. And still, nobody wants to hear those words. I remember watching him as he called me on his way home from getting those reports. Hadn't called his wife yet. She was at work. He called me, and he's a tough guy. doesn't want to cry. Called me, he's bawling his eyes out on the phone, saying, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. He says, can you pray with me? And I'm, 20, I'm 25 now. I was 23 at the time. I'm thinking, what do I say? How do, you, how do you pray with your older brother who's seeking help and he's hurt? And we just prayed and said, Lord, I know that you're the great physician. You can do anything you want to do. Well, Lord. So he, he started chemo, and that was a difficult time in his life. He was off work for nine months. And I watched as the chemo dis- literally destroyed his body. He frail, became lost tons of weight, became frail, and just difficult, difficult. Lost all of his hair. Couldn't eat, throw up. He'd have chemo treatment, come home and throw up, and couldn't keep food down. And boy, it was difficult. But but through all all of that, God gave some grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God that you didn't even know you needed till you went through something like that? God gave some grace, and he was going through that. And there was one time he said, when I first went to my first chemo treatment, I'm not going to lie, I was scared. But now I go with confidence. My God is going to deliver. Our God is able. He goes through those nine months and comes back, gets a scan that he is cancer-free. And boy, we were excited, man. We had a great time. He was able to ring that bell. Boy, there's an excitement that is there. (coughs) Through all of this, God was drawing him closer. It was in March of last year. He had just finished up chemo. He went to my dad's office. My dad pastors Victory Baptist Church in East Prairie, Missouri. A little town of 3,000 people in the middle of nowhere, cornfields, where it's at. Comes to my dad in his office and says, Dad, I need to talk to you about something. I made a profession of faith when I was a little boy, you know that. But I've, I've been missing something for a long, long time. He said, Dad, through all this, through all this chemo, I can't look and see all the goodness of God and not say yes to Him. And so that night in my dad's office, my brother got saved that night. He goes back on Sunday and tells the church and says this, if it took cancer for me to recognize I needed to be saved, I would do it all over again. You say, well, why does God do stuff like that? I don't know. But I do know this. He he provides grace and strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I have no idea... Where you're, it may not be that. It may be worse than that. I have no idea. But I do know this. God's able. Won't you come? Won't you trust Him? You know, God's able to do great things in this church, in this town, in this community. I'm thinking there's not much of a community out here. We're in the middle of nowhere. But the community that surrounds, God is able. I'm a big believer in revival. I love to read about revival. I, I, I go to some places and they say, don't preach on revival here because we don't, we don't believe it's going to happen. And I love to say this. If you're breathing, God's able to revive you and revive your family and revive your church and do things that we can't even believe is possible. How? Our God's able. If he could go to the grave, if he could rise again, if he could ascend back to the Father, 
He's able to meet your needs this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be here. And God, to meet these people and to preach this message. I have no idea who it was for. But God, I, I could not get it off my heart last night, this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet every need in this room today. Well, if there's somebody not saved, I pray they'd come and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.